0: Hello and welcome to the 11th episode of Tailoring in Conversation. In this series, I'll be talking to tailors from all around the globe to gain a better insight into their worlds. And my guest for today is Avery Lucas. Avery is a bespoke tailor from the United States, but how I would like to describe Avery and or the only way I really can describe him is that he is truly a hidden gem. I've enjoyed talking to him. I've always learned something from him and he's someone who's been there and done that. So we're gonna talk about his career, his uh, journey into tailoring, some good old tailoring advice and uh, perhaps a few things to note for the younger generation. So let's get to it. Avery, man, thank you so much. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm honored. Thank you. So, Avery, one of the things I always ask everyone when I uh, interview them is, if me and you were 10 years old and we were friends, where would we be? 10 years old? 10 years old, yes.
1: Probably sitting down in our parents'
0: den or
1: somewhere, sketching, drawing, looking at color, wondering what are these thoughts all about? Where are we going? We have no idea, but we start at that age, early. But yes, we don't know what's
0: happening to us so just to give a little bit of context for the viewers what year would that be if me and you were 10
1: Ah, uh, what year would it be
0: 1928 1928 but you're not that old are you Oh, no,
1: no. <laughs> oh, what year will that be? Oh, 1966. 1966.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, that's, that's for most people of my generation, that's quite a while back. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what? one of the things I'd like to know is, from the 10-year-old you up until today, how did you get into tailoring? How did your ideas develop? How did your curiosity develop? Was it in the family? Was it in your surroundings? Where did it all come from?
1: My father. Your
0: My father? Dad. Yes. So at how was age, that?
1: It uh, started at the age of six, six. paying attention. Watching how he would come home and transform until this elegant gentleman just to eat dinner. Whether it had been just a polo shirt, a English check jacket. And a pair of mid-gray worsted wool, office, fall, winter, flannel trousers. And a slip-on. And my question was, and I guess what kind of sparked me, I wanted to look like my dad. So So what did you not do? Oh, my dad was a contractor. Right. For... The government um, and he didn't dress like that when he left to work and when he came home from work he transformed after his shower and he would lay it out dinners at 5 o'clock so somewhere around 430 and it was almost like monkey see monkey do Yes. So when my dad laid his out, I went to my room, pulled out a blazer or sport coat or V neck sweater and a button down shirt.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I changed the trousers that had a proper crease. Started with plain front, no pleats in those days, and a yeah. pair of fast regent loafers, no socks. So and I would what sit
0: and watch. Why did he put so much emphasis on on dressing up? He felt
1: that we never really discuss it, but I would assume that the clothes created the character. Mm -hmm. And perhaps maybe that's what he wanted to be, a white-collar guy, suit and tie. But he did it on his time, not through, it wasn't demanded for him to dress that way throughout his career. Right. He just had a love for getting dressed, a mm-hmm. passionate, I mean, his hair, his mustache, his nails, um, just everything, his grooming, his clothes, mm-hmm. um, his closet was set up in a way that only he could figure it out. How to just go and pull this and pull that and open the door and take this out. I used mm-hmm. to go in there as a kid and that was my playtime. It was a big walk-in closet. I would sneak in and close the door. Yeah, And just start going through things and trying on things. He had a full-length mirror and I would look at myself. Of course, everything was big on me.
0: Yes. But, yes.
1: you know, so long as it hung from the neck and the collar fit, yeah, straight, I will pretend to be my dad.
0: Uh, okay. Looking. Yeah. So, your your dad has clearly had a, a lot of passion for, for, you know, clothing, fabrics, colors, combination, style. He had style, right? You yes. obviously... Could have seen that, you could have, you know, been there and maybe choose basketball or football or I don't know, something else to do. Why did that specifically attract you?
1: Honestly, it got attention, it caught the eyes of people Mm -hmm. surrounding me. And it was an emotional feeling. Made me feel good. Made me stand erect. It made me strut, walk back and forth. All I know, it was just a great feeling for someone to ask, Where did you get that? Wow, why did you put that together? Oh, the compliments. And as I got older, it started to become necessary Mm -hmm. I mean by the time I am 10 11 I had an audience it was either my school teacher the school principal the coach the ladies that work in the cafeteria they would say to me oh let me see what you got on today right and I (laughs) knew I was on to something because I was loving it and it mm-hmm. was loving me back. Right. Nothing else was really loving me back outside of my parents, my sister and my brother. Yes, they was loving me back. But the world that I live in mm-hmm. wasn't giving me the love that I could feel and understand. Right. So I gave it
0: my love and my attention. Mm-hmm. Were there things around you that you thought, you know, uh, I have this passion for, for clothing and I also want to gain more knowledge about it and kind of like become some sort of a, an apprentice to this field? Did you have a lot of facilities and, 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 and places where you could go and learn things and, and develop things? Growing up, no. Taught okay. myself. Where, which area, which city did you grow up? In Virginia, the state
1: of Virginia in a small area called Tidewater, Williamsburg, Virginia.
0: All right, okay, the okay. The
1: colonial district.
0: Right, right.
1: And um, I guess it was just the art of dressing. Mm-hmm. Parents taking me shopping, allowed me to choose But there was a lesson that came with it. I would see this and this and that. And my father says, no, put it back. One pair of gray worsted trousers is going to outlast all of this. Quality, son, quality. I was like, man, I could get a lot of that at the same price for one of these. And he would say, quality, son, quality. It's like, oh, man, okay. And I was—I obeyed him, and I knew that every time I wear that trouser, wear that blazer, um, it created a character within me. Mm-hmm. Then I just started to just do small basic things, how to press, right? How to press, uh, which was really important to my dad, and to me as well. The role and the crease became an obsession. Mm-hmm. And then you will start to judge. You know, you become very judgmental. You're sitting somewhere, whether it be at a high school function or whatever, and I look, and the guy has no crease. And maybe, you know, with, you know it was immaturity, but I would have known it. It's like you got on those trousers. You didn't take the time to put them on the ironing board and press in a crease. How could you? How could you even stand next to me? So mm-hmm. I kind of stayed off to myself. Um, being very honest and, and candid I was a snob. Yes. Because if you, if you couldn't carry off, the message, as I did at a young age,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I didn't live in a neighborhood, yes. I didn't live in the surroundings, um, so I was an oddball, and I accepted that. So by the time well, I got, uh, at a certain age, to be exact, 15 years old,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I wanted to make something. I'm tired of like altering and you know, tapering trousers and lengthening yeah. sleeves and shortening sleeves and changing plastic buttons to pearl buttons. It's taking, corrosing up buttons off of these and putting on buttons. on. It's just um, enhancing the garment by the devices that I had to work with.
0: Mm-hmm. And the
1: first thing I cut was I used a McCall and a Butterit
0: pattern. Right. Tell us a little bit about that. tell, tell us tell us about how you got started. Because you say you, you taught yourself you didn't have a lot of teachers around you apart from let's no. say your dad and or, or some other so just, how did you get it into it? In the,
1: it started in the tenth grade. And home economics. So all my basketball, football said, What are you gonna teach home economics? Well you gonna learn how to bake a cake? I said, No, I'm gonna learn how to make a shirt. Well, let's see. A little weird, but, and it didn't come into the second semester, but I drove that instructor nuts. When are we going to make a shirt? When are we going to make a shirt? When are we going to make a shirt? And she came one day. Next week we're going to start sewing. I left Earth and went off somewhere into space with excitement. So mm-hmm. I started to prepare myself to a proper wife cutting shears. In my parents' house, took some plywood, put some legs on it, built the table. That was my altar. So, 16 years old, brother I said, What are you going to do for your birthday? I said, it's A sewing machine. What? Sewing machine? What are you going to do? Well, make something. Well, make some clothes. Why? I'll buy you clothes. No, oh, I want to make them. A- well, you take me shopping, it's not really what I want. I got some ideas, and um, I, I, I want to create something. So he gave me a sewing machine. I went to the nearest little sewing supply store, fabric store, bought some red velvet, a butterick pattern, and a McCall pattern, because I saw two different versions, and I cut them up. And cake it was scotch cake back to what I won. And I cut it and I made it. And no one believed I did it. So at that point right there, I said to myself, This is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. My parents, my mom pushed me into law, my father was pushing me into medicine, and I rebelled. I said, soon as I graduate, I'm going to a design school. I'm going to get real with this. I need to be trained. I need lessons. I need to be somewhere in an art room room with tables and machines, you know, facilities. And Mm -hmm. um, they sent me off to art school down in Atlanta, Georgia. And that's when I really start to make my patterns, mm-hmm. I started to draft. I still, to this day, use the Mitchell system. I, <laughs> I just think it's by far better than any system in the world in terms mm-hmm. of balance and very comprehensive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I just started getting my tools and, you know, and collecting vintage tools. Whether mm-hmm. I used them or not, I had a wooden hip curve, a wooden L-square with the brass connections at it. And nobody that I associated myself with
0: cared Mm -hmm. about
1: this. Did you have any
0: friends uh, that were into the same thing?
1: I had a high school girlfriend that pushed me because she Mm -hmm. said, the red velvet suit was a hit for her. She said she fell deeper in love when I wore it. I says, okay, I'm going to make a blue one. I'm going to make another one, Great." Okay. But it started mm-hmm. to evolve from just cutting saw to drafting. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then I understood, not as well as I do now, but I understood that you have to have a foundation. And that foundation has got to be something that will stand the test of time, balance, shape, form. So you got to learn how to cut your paper, man.
0: Yes. Avery, this is a very good point you're mentioning and I'm sure that most of the viewers know this as well, but some of the viewers who are just starting out and just getting into our trade. When you say you need to have a foundation, right, obviously back then you, you, you were just trying out things and you weren't uh, benefiting from the experience that you have now, right? What would you say the foundation is? What if someone asks you, "What is the foundations? Uh, uh, what is the what are the foundations of tailoring of, of of design of that?" What would you say? What are the most important e- basic elements that uh, a person needs to know if they want to really make it in this industry? You got to figure out.
1: Exactly what it is you want to do in this industry. If you want to go into cloth, study cloth, study yarn, learn the water that these sheep and how they graze. You got to go deep. You just can't do what guys are doing now come up with a logo, get a name, and then they make the measurements. They want to make suits. With me, the foundation is it's an architectural form. You've got to be able to build something that has no name on it. It has no identity, but it's there because you mm. built it. Whether it be a jacket a trousers shirts, um, shoes, knitwear, you, it has to start from somewhere so you can build on it. And that is number one, most important, history. Study your history, start to look at books, I mean old books, go back to the 16th century.
0: When you say history, do you mean your personal history, like who are you are and where you're from, or do you mean this, the history of the trade and the industry? The
1: history of what you decide to do.
0: Right, right,
1: right. If you want to go on tailoring. Man, yeah, stop looking at, you know, you don't start with now. You, myself, started way mm-hmm. before we did. Go back yes. to that point. To the well, original, why would you say,
0: and, why do you think it's important to, to study the history? What, 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 what do you think is the essence of that? It's like anything else,
1: science, medicine. It's like anything you do, you've got to know the beginning. Mm-hmm. The beginning. When there was no sewing machines, everything was done by hand by some lad sitting on a table with his legs folded. You got to yeah. know that.
0: Yeah.
1: You know it's not some factory in London or Italy or the U.S. and you got machines in line up. You got a cutter over there and you got the fitters over there. No, it's, you, you got to go back as far as you can, as far as the information is available to you. And I think that's where you start. Um, I um, run a small school, Lucas Dressing Academy. I find it very difficult. I find it sometimes. It upsets me. Sometimes I get angry. Mm -hmm. I'm a very emotional guy. I see these guys out here. Don't want to do what I did from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. You just want instant gratification now. And I I ask a lot of these guys, like, can you cut? No, I don't cut. I use this. So how do you know about the pitch, the balance, the forward, the reversing, mm-hmm. the twist, the turns, the shape. How do you know about that? Well, I got to it. So you're not a tailor, man. You're not a tailor. You're stylish. stylist. It's what you are. Mm-hmm. It just, I mean, we see it on Instagram all the time, man. Patrick yes. just, just got good cloth, had something made. And
0: they're just out there like peacocks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know? Avery, please, please, be, be, before before we get into what you're currently doing, could you just tell us a little bit about how you further developed from from being in high school, starting out? Where what, what were some of the places that you had to go in order to learn what you had to learn? Because when when someone like you says. You need to know the history. You need to learn things from a deep level. I'm very curious in how you approach that dur- during your journey. It, and it still has been a blessing journey for me.
1: I came to New York in 1979. Mm-hmm. I just finished my undergrad at BCU in the art department. I was an art history major. And I came to New York with the intention to pursue a menswear designer. So I entered FIT, Fashion Institute of Technology, in the menswear division. I started setting myself up in my flat, my cutting table, machine, but I didn't know anybody. I happened to meet a guy by the name of Richard Simons. He was from Bermuda. Lived in Brooklyn. He's a coat maker. And I told him what I wanted to do it. He says, Oh come out of the shop sometime. Hang around. You know, watch me. Then I met a trouser maker, Jamie Pierre from Panama. These guys was masters. I was a mere beginner. And he took the time out to train to teach you. No, don't do it like that. Do it like this. Uh, this is how you do that. Um, when you get to that procedure, this is the way you want to do it. It was their way. And I had two great teachers hmm. when a lot of these that allowed me to come in and create. Oh, just, yes. no, don't get into that. Your guy just wants a pair of plain trousers, no loops, clean waistband. Right. I said, well, you know, why don't we just shake the pocket like this? Why don't we, like, raise your back like this? And they look at me, it's like, oh, man, just keep it simple. Keep it simple.
0: R- but I'm not a right, simple right. Guy. Okay, okay. So I have a question here. You know, when you start to learn something, anything, when you become an apprentice, one of the things that you hear as an apprentice is, just do as I tell you, just do as I tell you, right? Now, I can understand, as I've experienced it myself, this is very frustrating when you are a creative person and you're curious, you have a lot of questions, you want to try things out, but you keep hearing, do as I tell you. Now... Sometimes this is very important because it gives you a foundation, right? If, if, if you want to be all over the place, then you're not gonna go forwards with a lot of focus, but at the same time, it can become very rigid and boring. So what I'd like to ask you is, given that you have experienced this, I've experienced this, and many other people watching this will and have experienced this, what do you think is the best way to deal with that? To, to, to trust, but at the same time know when it's becoming too rigid and what to do about it?
1: You always have to respect your master, your teacher. You have to respect, regardless of what's going on through your head. You're like, ah. no, never showing that. Because you gotta understand. He's three times your age. So he's there. Mm -hmm. Listen, suck up everything that he's gonna teach you. Yours is to come. Patience. But you gotta learn how to drive a car straight before you start going around curves Mm -hmm. and being a race car driver. You got to learn the basic elements. And it was frustrating because I was all about details. You know, half moon. you know, beast and pox. No, just make it straight. Oh, no, that's a difficult thing to do. Uh, no, it's not. It just takes a little more time. You know, just take, you know, baste it by hand. This guy's going to put two fibers together, sit around, cut through, cut the V, I said, okay, that's a basic way to do the parking. But I kept, I didn't, it was hard for me to keep my mouth closed. Mm-hmm. And sometime I became annoying because I was hungry, man. I was just starving to become better and better and better. Okay, you taught me all of the basics. Fine, I love you for it. Well, I must move on. Mm -hmm. I must start to develop. I'm a creator. Yes. I don't know how, and I never learn, and I never will, and I don't want to, how to put that and bottle it up somewhere and save it for when it's time. Mm
0: -hmm. No,
1: I'm like that every day I wake up.
0: Right. How would you say you could... How do you think, um, how would you say you could, how how does one recognize a good master? You're trying to find an apprenticeship. You're going out to all these shops, for example. How can you tell that's the person I have to learn from? That's the person who I can learn the most with?
1: It's got to be something that happens with inside of you. It's got to be you. that ticks it has got to be something that happens. It's your gut, man. It's your gut. It's a reaction that you're going to feel like. Damn. I don't particularly like that guy because he's strict and he's raising his eyebrows. He's a little aggressive when he's talking to me. You've got to be smart enough to know, but damn it, he's giving me some of the best information that I can get in the world. You have to decide within yourself can you tolerate mm-hmm. a person that's number one, has an obsession? Mm-hmm. He has a passion and a commitment that is pretty much borderline insanity. So, can mm-hmm. you teach someone, having been that person, can you teach someone? It's hard, man. It's hard.
0: Well, it you seems know, as if one of the things that. It seems that one of the things that you're saying really is that first, before you really start the journey, what you need to have happen within you is the hunger to learn more and to go out there despite the people who are going to be either with you or against you in your journey. It has to be this intense hunger. Now, my question would be, if, you, if someone is just starting out, right, and they don't know anything, they haven't done anything, they haven't made anything, how could they know that what this person is telling me or what this person is showing me is real, is of good quality, and to my benefit? How would they be able to tell so that they could trust?
1: I think that is the responsibility of you, myself, as teachers. First of all, you gotta get in to trust you. Mm-hmm. And by when I say trust you, you gotta show him everything that was shown to you. You can't have no little secrets or I only keep this to myself because you gotta show him everything. You gotta let him know that I'm giving you jewels. I'm giving you diamonds and I want you to value them. And I think at that point, if he knows how precious it is, he will jump on board. But like I say, it's just, it's it's energy. It's Mm -hmm. energy. You know, some people you can connect. I mean, I've met some of the greats. They were assholes. They had... Mm -hmm horrible bed manners, bedside manners, horrible personalities. Um, But they were a master. And I think for the student, Mm -hmm. you've got to learn how did he get there? Right. If you want to walk that journey, how did he get there? He got there by being who he is. Yeah, you make a decision. You want to be a part of him? or not? Mm-hmm. It's up to you. But like I said, you got to have that hunger. And I should tell you a quick story. Sure. I met Henry Stewart back in 1980. To me, he's one of the best tailors in the world. I walked through this man's door up on the fourth floor on 57th Street. And... Um, went into his little showroom and then as the workshop and uh, I recognized him and uh, I kind of stood at a distance and I said Mr. Stewart how are you and he didn't answer I said okay I said can I walk through and he didn't answer so I just walked through so as I got closer he asked me what do you want um I didn't know what to say. I said, I'm just visiting. I'm a student at FIT. I'm learn. I choked. And he gave me like another three seconds. He says, I tell you, bro, turn around. Go back out the door. Come back another time until you figure out what you want. Don't bother me, okay? I was like, wow, he was freaking rude. I don't like him. I went back. But when I went back, I was ready. Mm-hmm. I, only, I, I went back four days later. I was ready in terms of, I told him I wanted to learn. And I told him that I did a little study. He was doing the Godfather 1. He was working with um, Pacino at the time. And I see his work on the cutting table and there's a guy over there doing sleeves and there's another guy with a basic hat. And he said, what do you want to learn? I said, I want to learn all of this. You know what he said to me? He said, first thing you can do, Hey, you see all this fabric and thread and stuff on the floor? See that broom over there? Sweep the floor. So I put my bag down and I start sweeping the floor. Mm-hmm. Then I start asking questions. And he saw that I was hungry and he would come over, come over here. will don't you stand over me? Watch this. And I would watch and I would ask questions. Why did you fold one seam that way, but you rolled the other? Mm-hmm. He's working with the sleeve. You know, he's working with the armhole. So it's was like, why you do this? And he says, because. I wanted to have attention. I wanted to stand up. I wanted to speak. This is how you do it. Okay. All right. Okay. And he taught me a lot, man.
0: Mm -hmm. I hate
1: to be emotional, but he kind of like put me into order. Yeah. Of quality being the best and developing a signature for yourself. 57th Street at the time had some renowned tails, Your Maurizio, your John Rao, your Raphael, your Morty Fields. These guys was tailored for the stars. Frank Sinatra, Ben Cosby, Dean Martin. They, they was tailored for the stars. And I said, This guy, I want to be them. Mm -hmm. I want to be them. Not because of their recognition of just that name. It was because of their talent and their ability to build a garment that had a soul. It had a spirit. Mm-hmm. You can just look at it on the hanger, and tell, man. You can look between the sleeve and the waistline, man. Look at the shape on that. Why? Why's the pot? Why does it looks long? No, I raised the pockets. They start to teach me tricks of the trade. Mm-hmm. You know, it's no matter what, his his signature was. His pockets was an inch and a half higher than anybody else on the row. The way he put away his top collar. Um, the way he would cut a breast pocket through canvas. Not mm. through the coat. He cut through it all to make the breast pocket. Why? Because it has. It's a little small, area. It should say something. Mm-hmm. I says, well, you know, say so I'm gonna put in a pocket square. Take your pocket square out. It's gotta speak. Mm-hmm. And that's kinda where I am today. So um
0: how much do you think that the f- how much do you think the vision is transferred as well as the technical skills from the teacher and how much of it is up to the student to take on board from from their experiences in their lives. Because obviously the the master can teach you the technical things, but sometimes what I've noticed, for example, is the master doesn't have all the technical skills, but they teach you more vision and they allow you to go after that vision and and you have to find out the technicals. How do you see that balance? What do you think that the possibilities are there and should be?
1: I think it's gotta be a high amount of percentage of passion. Mm. You just gotta you gotta fall in love with it, man. The technical stuff, hell you know and I know, man. We I can get you to do the technical stuff. Right. But I've got to have I got to know what I want it to look like. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: you take your student and you've got to open his eyes to various Mm -hmm. things in life. Because you just walk through the streets or you go through the museums or you go and look at the architecture, the old buildings. You can apply all of that to a coach.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: because you have that vision you've the eyes have seen something that can be translated
0: right and so you teach the, family, the student gotta, to look how to look
1: yeah you just gotta have I don't know I just think man, you just gotta love it man you gotta mm-hmm. be in love with it yes and if you are it will love you back.
0: That's right. Like
1: someone says, you know, that, you know, I am in love with clothing. And they says, why? I said, because it loves me back better than any human being can do. Mm-hmm. And she says, like, wow. And I meant it from my
0: heart. Mm-hmm. Every day. So tell us a little bit about how it f- went further. So y- you are with uh, Henry Stewart, Stewart, and then you continue your 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 learning. How how did it go? Where did you go next? Um,
1: I went. Um, I graduated uh, um, top of my class, 1982 from FIT, and. Uh, I actually he was doing some sweat work and some, some little apprentice for Alan Flusser. Because, you know, at the time he was hot. He was on the scene. He was kind of like, you know, had the menswear market, at least with the updated traditional look. And mm-hmm. then he brought in this little British flair to the American market, you know? Uh, he's he kind how did people stop calling him <laughs> braces and suspenders, you know? Stop calling um, pants or slacks, just call them trousers, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. It was his teachings, and uh, um, I just kind of dug what he was doing. So I would go up there three three to four days sometimes, four hours, help out in the showroom, and um, I was working retail. Mm-hmm. And we had a paper. It was called the DNR, Daily News Record. And on the front page, I'm standing on the floor. And on the front page, I see this guy with a Norfolk jacket on. And the picture was, he was wearing plus fours, Argyle socks. And I said, who the hell is this? And he said, Garrick. Anderson, I says, "Oh man, this guy's like, this is what I want to do, mm-hmm. this is the mole I'm from." Called him up, got him on the phone, told me, "Where are you?" I says, "I'm working up at Cherivari. What time you get off? I says, "I think at." Uh, hold on for a second. So I just came. I didn't ask nobody. I just said, "Soon." He says, well, I'm at 321 Fifth Avenue. Come down and see me. I went down and see me. He hired me. He was the first to give me the opportunity to look at cloth
0: mm-hmm.
1: and figure out what are we going to do with this cloth? What are you going to make out? If he put everything into my hand, bam, was I ready? I'm still not sure was I I ready. But I succeeded to do, under his label, his very first collection. Man, it was like a dream come true. Mm -hmm. We sold to your better retail stores, your Bonneys, your Bertolf Goodmans, your sacks all the high-end specialty stores. And um I guess I broke his heart.
0: Why did you do that?
1: I left <laughs> because my girlfriend at the time, my, my future wife, been my wife, now my ex-wife, had the opportunity to go into bespoke shirts. She was mm-hmm. an author. She was a scientist. And she worked for a bespoke shirt maker. And he was an older gentleman, ready to retire. And he asked her, did she want the business? Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah. So she came to the flat and says, I got an opportunity to get the business. Said, what are you going to do with it? So she said, I'm, we're going to run it. Said, we? And at The time I had left Garrett because I wanted to start my own. And I I said, okay. Uh, We inherited a set of block patterns. Mm -hmm. I revamped them, Um, started cutting. We had four ladies to operate, me as the cutter and the fitter and the seller. And that's when I took the business side of it seriously, mm-hmm. I've got the talent and skills and the ability to create something, to make something that's got all these guys in the Garment Center. Says, hey, go you see that kid that's making shirts over on 37th Street. This kid is good. So, mm. Wow. Wow. They're talking about me? My ex-wife says, no, they're talking about us. I said, I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> You're right. You're right. And we couldn't handle the production. Mm-hmm. We couldn't. I know that's a, that's a dream that most people won't come true. You know, <laughs> give it to me, give it to me. But we, yeah. we couldn't handle it. Um, number one, we had, had our first child. Uh, we took over that business in '85. First child, I got married her in '87. My first child was born in '89. So being and parents now. So mm-hmm. I would tell her, go home. Take care of the baby. I would work at midnight. Mm-hmm. I would sleep on the cutting table. Yes. I call him and said, I'm not coming home. She says, you got to rest. I said, I didn't put bolts of fabric and a lot of fabric. I'm going to sleep on the cutting table. Yeah. And I did that for many nights and for many years. I found it hard to detach myself. From what I know
0: hmm well and, you you mentioned uh, something about the learning the business side as well and I think this is especially important for younger tailors who are apprenticing but also for tailors who have learned their skills and maybe want to start something on their own how did that how did that go for you well, I mean obviously when you spend like five six years ten years whatever years learning technical things Sometimes you forget about all the things that you need to do as a business owner. So how did you make that transition? What were the things that you thought were the most challenging? And if someone today wants to start a business, they really need to know those things. What would that be?
1: What that would be going into business, and which I didn't do. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Your cost to make a garment, right down to every yard of bread. If it takes a whole spool, include that spool into Mm -hmm. the garment. The buttons, everything, the canvas, the labor, everything that goes into it, the cost. Sit down, figure it out. Can your market bear that? Do you have the guy that can afford that? You gotta figure all that out. Where you mm-hmm. wanna be at in this business? Do you don't wanna be a made to measure, you show people fabrics, you go around to their office, you send it off to China or Hong Kong or wherever you send it, it comes back, bit him up, he's happy, you another one. Um, you wanna build clothing for people. Now there's no middle man. It mm-hmm. do on you. You know? And I think my advice is you got to come in on the high side. Why I say that? Because if you come in on the low side, you're hungry. You just want some clients. So you cut them deals with prices. You know? Mm-hmm. It's going to be murder to get where you should be. What you do mm-hmm. because your your teacher, your congressman, oh hell, you're getting expensive. I can't afford you anymore. That's the price you should have been paid in the beginning. But mm-hmm. I was young, gullible, wanted to succeed, so underpriced myself. Do not underprice yourself. Don't never do that because it's going to be very difficult for you to get the price that you deserve. Mm-hmm. And don't come in on the high side because you've got big money behind you. You've got backers behind you. You've got financial people behind you. And you come in, and you've got this beautiful little shop down in or wherever it is, and you're mm-hmm. gouging people with price points.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't like those guys, man. Mm -hmm. They got a name for themselves. They got a lot of money. But the product, it's not what they say it is. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were to open it up, look at the heartbeat. Look at the liver, the kidney. These are all the components that's into a bench-made garment. It's not there. Oh, Mm -hmm. you open it up. Oh, you see around the pocket? Oh, you see right here? You see this stuff? Right yeah. there, it's called fusing. That's glue. Oh well, what's wrong with that? <laughs> that's another lesson. Mm-hmm. And but they have a name. They have this location, and they can get the prices for crap. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to throw any names at any, but you know a lot of this mm-hmm. stuff the here that you know six, seven, eight, ten thousand dollars. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. But the only way it is that because you got to pay this one, you got to pay that one, you got to pay the lights, you got to pay for the you got to pay for this, you got to pay for that. And you hopefully there's some left for you. Mm -hmm. I'd rather work in a dungeon. Just don't take me away from my art. Mm -hmm. Don't take me away from That would hurt me.
0: So what happened when you when you left your your next teacher and and you broke his heart um, as you said? <laughs> what happened after uh, that? Um,
1: said, I said it again? My
0: next what year? happened? Yes. What, what? Where did you go after after your uh, after you did the collection and? Uh, uh, um, and started the, with my wife the, and then, I um,
1: was two, so 18. Nineteen ninety one there's a merchant tailor by the name of Saint Laurie, owner proprietor was Andy Colson, walks into our bespoke shirt place one day and made us an offer, my wife and myself, that we couldn't refuse. Right. We wanted to do an Avery Lucas for Saint Laurie's College, teach me. I must be dreaming. Are you serious? So we sit down, and I being child, and um, it was a good, it was a good match. That is where I, on my own, was able to work with my pattern makers the coat maker up on the third floor, the trousers maker down on the second floor, the bustling guys, the whole cutting room. I had to say. And we had accounts in Germany, Japan, One little place in the UK, I care not to mention. (laughs) But uh, I, my name, is now important, and I didn't know how. I just thought Mm -hmm. just being great was good. Mm -hmm. You need a name. Your your name is how people gonna call on you. So that was the birth in 1991 of Avery Lucas' collection. Mm -hmm. I went from St. Laurie. I was there for years. I left another opportunity. Alfred Dunhill
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um, called on me to head up their custom clothing department. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would do the cutting I would service the clients, I would create, but it's not a lot of creation that you're going to do for these Wall Street guys. They don't want to know about what's up under the lapel, you know, I'm going to cut up on this guy, man, I'm going to cut 13-inch side bench. Yeah, okay, side fence. well, what the hell, I don't care. Man, nobody's cutting 13 inches in a side, You're not smashing the this. Look at that chest. Man, it'll stand up by itself. You go ahead and it bounces back up. That's what mm-hmm. we do on the inside of it. Oh, when my suits going to be ready? he you know, got two phones in his ear. Like, <laughs> but um, the opportunity was great. Now I'm growing. I'm growing. Mm-hmm. And I went from there to Dorme. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course you use used that cloth I think I see some books in your background
0: <laughs> yes I but, do have some books um, in the
1: background as um, director of custom clothing again mm-hmm. and um, second child is born 8 years later my son and I thought that it was time for me to stop just I was afraid. I was scared to go on my own because I didn't Mm -hmm. have the financial backing. But Mm -hmm. now I have two kids. I am responsible financially for my Mm -hmm. children. Mm -hmm. So I took a risk. I still have the same label that Mm -hmm. I've had since I started in 91. And, uh, I just started getting on the phone, calling up some clients, going through my books, telling them what I'm doing. And I started visiting offices, their homes, mm-hmm. meeting them at hotels. You know, I used to love to rent a hotel room for a day and get these customers come in, but then I was in the hotel for the night. <laughs> 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 i paying for myself, you know? Up yeah. North, I, I, I didn't live in the city. Um, mm-hmm. Lived in the country. And, um, you know, to this day, I no longer pursue looking for clients.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, if you like it this time, we can get about what I'm doing now.
0: Yes. If you yes. At- I'd like... Sure, sure. It's complicated.
1: Because all I want to do is be responsible for making beautiful clothing. Mm -hmm. I want to be responsible for... Avery does this for me. Mm -hmm. He puts his trust in my hand. Mm -hmm. If I don't make it, I'll find someone to make it. Mm -hmm. I just want to create beautiful music, symphonies through clothing. I want to spread this love, this joy, this passion through my work.